Good morning, everyone. Uh, today we will take a different direction in our podcast. I don't know uh, if anyone knows, but I'm a physician scientist track, and my basic science focus is uh, thromboinflammatory model, sickle cell disease, uh, innate immunity. Uh, one of the things which I am interested uh, to look into is the contribution of reactive oxygen species in sickle cell disease again this is not novel a lot of this has been known in the general scheme of things but today we will discuss a paper i was asked to read this paper on uh, basically again ros and sickle cell disease but this paper is mainly focused on the red blood cell component or the or the production of reactive oxygen species within the within the red blood cells a very uh, nice paper doesn't actually it does delve deep into signaling mechanisms but a very simple approach i would say uh what they did here was again basically isolating uh, rbcs and then looking into the various components of reactive oxygen species systems and uh, so the methodology is pretty simple you know rbc collection uh, then they looked uh, uh, ros detection by flow cytometry or obviously by inhibition stimulation experiments to basically compartmentalize or to see what section or where does the ros uh, uh, species or where what 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 complexes are involved in this they did a lot of immunoblotting for the same reason they looked into uh, a lot of NOx, you know, uh, NADPH oxidase systems, uh, NOx 1, 2, 3, 4, whatever they, they could have, you know, uh, they thought were was important. Uh, interestingly, they looked uh, also into uh, TGF beta 1 components and endothelial receptor 1. And this is more uh, on the systematic cytokine uh, based stimulation. They did some RAC GTP pull down assays and uh, finally they did some high speed cell imaging analysis. Uh, not going uh, that much uh, into the the methodology again it's, it's a brief gist of the paper so the first thing was obvious yes there was an elevated ROS production in these sickle erith erythrocytes compared to normal healthy erythrocytes a uh, very distinct and uh, again they did uh, some flow cytometry their uh, plate reader or their uh, readouts was basically looking for DCFDA which is basically uh, tells you about the ROS levels. The level is pretty simple. And again, uh, the figure one shows the production of ROS is elevated in sickle cell RBC, something which is not, which is an expected phenomena in these patients. So that's what they did. Again, it's important to remember here, which I found interesting and which I don't usually think in my uh, projects is that they, this uh, uh, they use the blood of non-transfused uh, patients uh, for at least three months and again the importance for that is i think three months is because the the survival period of rbc is 120 days uh, i'm sure it's very uh, it's it's reduced in sickle cell disease patients not no i don't exactly know what the level is but they wanted to them be having their own red blood cells but again it's catastrophic because uh, most of the sickle cell disease patients are under exchange transfusion protocols and uh, have to get exchange transfusions every other week. 
just to keep things in perspective this paper is from texas children hematology center so i don't know why these patients weren't given exchange transfusions and why they were off i mean i'm sure they must have been in some sort of disease modifying therapy especially hydroxyurea but what was the reason i don't know but but the point they're trying to say okay we're, we're out uh, of three months and that is your normal uh, red blood cells and there is obviously going to be a lot of uh, rs production i don't know the n numbers as well as three uh, samples i mean don't know i mean that is not enough for me but i mean they have done it so that's what again then uh, after looking into the basically directly into the ROS levels then they wanted to uh, you know look into the complexes they they tried various inhibitors and this is something which we have discussed in the past as well that dpi so dpi i think it's a it's a general nadph oxidase inhibitor and so they inhibited now with them with dpi with xanthine oxidase inhibitor uh, they use rotenone, it's a mitochondrial electron transport inhibitor. So what they found was that only DPI, so xanthine oxidase as well as uh, uh, rotenone does not have to do anything with the ROS production when it comes to sickle cell uh, red blood cells. Uh, the other thing which they found was they use the specific GP91DSTAT as well as this other thing called aposinians. So these uh, two uh, molecules, and I don't know what they actually are, what kind of proteins they are, or what kind of enzymes they are, but basically, as they will mention that both of which they, they inhibit, they're peptides, right? They inhibit NADPH activity by blocking the translocation of cytosolic components of the enzyme complex to the membrane surface. So when you don't have that translocation of NADPH, so there is no ROS, uh, production so as I said uh, so basically as you can see on figure 2 here on this paper again I want to name this paper so in case anybody wants to check this out the name of the paper is erythrocyte NADPH oxidase activity modulated by ROAC GTPases protein kinase in plasma cytokines contributes to oxidative stress in uh, sickle cell disease and it was published in blood uh, and uh, it was published actually in 2013 so it's an old paper you know and uh, so that was that and again uh, so they looked into that and as i said they basically again i'm going to discuss a little bit in the later discussion part as well is that uh, so the dpi was important gp91 as well as aposinin were important in this ROS production and then they wanted to look into the mechanisms to confirm the presence of NADPH oxidase in RBC and to, to determine the relative abundance. You know, they looked into the NOx levels, basically NOx1, NOx2, NOx. So what they found was that, OK, only few NOxes are important, uh, both in sickle and uh, that's NOx A, NOx4, NOx5. I think NOx5 was the most abundant one, but only NOx2 they found was increase and appear more abundant in sickle so it's a nox it's a nox 2 that's why i think uh, even we targeting nox 2 might be a better strategy you know for that uh they looked more into whether there's any wbc contamination so they looked into cd45 which is a pan leukocyte marker but that was uh, as you can see from this western blot on figure 
three that is down regulated so they again wanted to say okay we don't have any contamination right uh, then they wanted to go over into intracellular signaling pathways they looked into rack gtpases uh, protein kinase and intracellular calcium ions in many cell types uh, nadph oxidase is mediated so not it was not some kind of an uh, strange whim it was just because rack gtpases uh, pkc they are all involved in a nos uh, production or you know ROS production because PKC is known to be elevated in sickle cell RBC relative. We tested whether PKC in rock might function in signaling exceeds induced NADPH. So, basically, all this NADPH oxidase activity that is uh, induced or that is hyper, uh, they wanted to test whether PKC in rock has a big role in that. Additionally, Pre-treatment, I think this is an important point. Pre-treatment with a formal ester PMA increased ROS production in SSRBC. This is something which I'm also seeing in, in my uh, projects in a dose-dependent uh, fashion. So I definitely want to look into this. So obviously, they use between 2 and 10 micromoles. So there was further increase at 10 micromole, uh, which is nothing. And then, then, then they used a, then they used a PKC inhibitor called the Calfos. Uh, and uh, calfostin and decreased again suggesting the same thing um, again won't go much deeper into that so it's a pma mediated increase ROS production indicating the pk so again basically oh pkc rock gtps and everything is involved in this uh, so also plasma factors what they did is a very simple experiment for that they isolated the sickle cell RBCs and the healthy RBCs they pre-incubated them in the plasma of healthy and they found that if the sickle cell are in a sickle RBC there is more ROS production if they are in a healthy RBC as you can see on figure 5 there is less uh, uh, ROS production. And then the final thing is what they are again trying to say there is intracellular uh, signaling mechanism, there are extracellular signaling mechanism. Extracellular, they looked into these plasma cytokines, TGF, beta, and ET1. They uh, basically uh, treated them with that and also looked into the level of these TGF, uh, beta 1, and ET1 in the Western blots. And uh, as you can see, I mean, there is significant increase in the ROS activated uh, uh, in, 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 in RAC, GTPA and ROS production in these in these uh, uh, sickles, LRBCs, which were stimulated by uh, TGFB10 endothelin 1. Again, that's pretty much it about the paper. In discussion, again, they talk about the involvement of NADPH oxidase catalytic uh, subunits they talk about again again it's more intracellular pkc rack gtps whereas extracellular they identified uh, plasma factors in which is pro probably modulated through tgf beta 1 and with et1 uh, uh, two signaling molecules which they identified again uh, talking about the, the the catalytic subunits you know the various NOx subunits but only NOx2 seems to be much more prevalent in sickle RBC so that may have a significant role in the ROS production and uh, that's pretty much it you know that's pretty much it and uh, uh, may cause a direct and again obviously then they go more into the what, what is the implication the implication is obviously the RBC fragility the RBC damage the RBC hemolysis resulting in all this uh, systemic and I think I think it's very important when it comes to that but they also uh, talk about uh, then uh, the the systemic because then those heme related as we know cause systemic inflammation 
of plasma proteins wbc platelets and endothelial cells and again trying to uh, giving some sort of anecdotal evidence of this study by uh, suggesting various clinical trials for example there is a clinical trial on NAC and estelcystine a source of sulfhydryl group uh, and a scavenger uh, of uh, free radicals that have shown a, lo a lot of improvement uh, in, in, the, in the clinical trials, you know, dense cells normalize, blah, 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 where decrease in the frequency of vasoclusocrise. And similarly, potentially, hydroxyurea has a similar effect as well. I just want to go a little bit into the, 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 the paradigm they have sort of suggested here is that uh, that this TGF beta and ET1 sort of stimulates the RAC and protein kinase C. Uh, then there is, a, there is calcium influx as we also are looking into that. Uh, thing as well and uh, involving NOx5 and NOx5 there is again this whole rack GTP involvement resulting in and eventually hemolysis vasoclusion more inflammation so it's again a sort of a vicious cycle when it comes across as a nice paper I won't be necessarily discussing what are the main implications and how I can use them in my own projects uh, but I think still a lot to learn uh, you know when it comes to the the ross involvement in uh, uh, sickle cell disease and for that, that matter as i would say all the time in any sort of chronic inflammatory model well i hope you enjoyed uh, listening to that i will try to bring more um, sort of journal clubs uh, in future and i think it's interesting to make podcasts not only for my own benefit but also for the benefit of others where uh, we can learn and share our scientific knowledge. Thank you.